we want to take the few minutes that we have left and think about our thoughts toward God. It was good to have our brother give a testimony about his son having appendicitis this week and trusting God throughout the whole event and the string of all the exams and decisions that he had to make regarding that son. As he said, we can be guilty of evil surmising, not about others, but about the Lord Himself, that He's not treating us fairly. And Job himself fell into that trouble after the second chapter. But we do not want to do that. We want to arm ourselves with faith before such circumstances arise in our lives. I began a few minutes ago with Isaiah 45, verses 5-10, through where the Lord said, I am the Lord. That should settle it. For those of you that are not sure, look at Job 33 with me so that I can give you the answer to the whole book of Job. Job had three friends arise and come to meet him and help him in his grief, but they couldn't even recognize him, so they didn't say a word for seven days. Now, I can get discouraged in seven minutes if I was to have all that happen to me, and they couldn't say a word for seven days. What good are friends like that? And then when they opened their mouths, they condemned Job. The devil was using them and Mrs. Job to try to ruin that poor man. The solution to the book of Job is given us by the fifth character there, young Elihu. He tells us in Job 33 and verse 12, the answer to the whole book. There's three friends that condemned Job. There's Job that justified himself. And there was a young man sent by God with the message of truth before the Lord himself spoke to Job. Job 33:12, Speaking to Job, Elihu said, Behold, in this thou art not just. I will answer thee that God is greater than man. God can do what he did to Job, and no one has a right to say unto him, What doest thou? He is the Lord, and there is none else. He is the potter, and we are the clay. And he had a right to take away from Job what he had given him. And for two chapters, Job had the right attitude. The Lord gave, and the Lord hath taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Let us never depart from those sentiments. Let that be our foundation and the end of all our thoughts, no matter what the Lord brings our way. The Lord gave, the Lord hath taken away, blessed be the name of the Lord, and he worshipped him there, and he did not charge God foolishly, nor sin with his lips. Lord, help us. The Lord is going to try every one of you. He knows what is dear to you. He can take your son. He can take my son. He can take... Money. He can take health. But all of those things were gifts He gave in the beginning. He has a right to take them again. And we should bless Him in spite of it. Through it. Above it. And for it. We know that all things work together for good to them that love God. And who are those that love God according to that verse? To them who are the called according to His purpose. Now, all the people that quote that verse don't even understand the second half of it because they don't believe God has much of a purpose. 
But God has called individual men by His purpose in Jesus Christ from before the world began that they would be saved by the death of Jesus Christ and the love of God would be wrought in their hearts. That's a specific group of people. That verse does not apply to everyone. That verse applies to those that love God and those that love God love Him because they were called according to God's purpose. And that purpose is explained in the very next two verses where it said, For whom He did foreknow, He also did predestinate and justify and call and glorify. We know that all things work together for good. And we're able to look at Job 33.12 and that one verse is the answer to the book. Why did God do those things to Job? You shouldn't even ask why. You should just say God is greater than man. Paul in Romans chapter 9 would say, Who art thou that repliest against God? Shall the thing formed say to him that formed it, Why hast thou made me thus? We don't have a right to question the God of heaven. And that isn't because he's a monster. It's because he is the Lord. And we are his creatures. And I delight in a God like that. Amen. He can do what He will, wants to with His creatures, and we should bless and praise Him every step of the way. It is weak believers, weak believers, when something happens, that think God has forgotten them. That think God can no longer use them. That God will not forgive them. That God is angry at them for past sins. That God cannot bless them due to past sins, or that God does not love them. He has stated all these things in the Bible. He forgives us our sins and cleanses us from all unrighteousness. What? How, how many more examples do you need? Does David comfort you at all? He committed aggravated adultery and murder. Nathan said to him, Thou art the man. David said, I have sinned against the Lord. Nathan said, The Lord hath forgiven thee. What more do you need to comfort your souls? It's the Word of God. That's the shield of faith we get up. If God is able to forgive David such a heinous set of sins so easily and quickly, oh yes, there were circumstances that followed in David's life and cost him dearly until the day he died, but yet God had forgiven him. He retained his position with the Lord. He walked with the Lord the rest of his life. Don't say that God can't forgive you, won't forgive you, or is slow in forgiving you. The Bible speaks to the contrary. The Bible says if we confess our sins, He is faithful. He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Let us be as faithful in believing His faithfulness. That's where the problem is. The problem is all in our thoughts. It's not in God nor in what He has said. It's that we forget to believe it. We fail to believe it. He forgives. He is more merciful than you know anything about. There is no one in this room that is even close to being as merciful as the God of heaven. Though in the Bible He is described as the great and dreadful God. The great and terrible God. You are not even close in mercy. Look at Isaiah 55. Isaiah 55, this is so comforting to me, and I want it to be comforting to you. The glorious truth of the Bible is that God is kinder and more merciful than you will ever be. 
It's because you're measuring yourself by your standards instead of God's standards. You say, how can God forgive such great sins so easily since He's the great and dreadful and holy God of the Bible? I'll tell you why. There is a very basic fundamental reason why God is able to forgive so easily. Because Jesus Christ paid an infinite sacrifice to purchase that forgiveness. It's not because God compromises His character. It's because Jesus Christ fully satisfied His character. That is the basis. It's the Lord Jesus Christ. You're looking outside of God's love and Jesus Christ's propitiatory sacrifice for you, and you're looking at the way you measure people. You're slow to forgive. You hold on to bitterness. You hold on to revenge. You remember sins. He doesn't. Let me prove it to you. The glorious truth about the God of heaven is that He is kinder and more merciful than you will ever be. Let me prove it. Isaiah 55. Some of you already know this well, but I have to teach a mixed multitude. And I hope they don't look that up in the Bible. What I mean is, here we go. What I mean is, there are all levels of understanding, and some have heard this passage before, and some have not heard it before. And I'll tell you, those that have heard it before, you're not going to get harmed by hearing this one again. I want to tell you something about the truth of the God of the Bible. He's kinder and more merciful than you'll ever be. Now let me prove it to you from this passage that is seldom understood, though often quoted. Isaiah 55, 6. Seek ye the Lord while he may be found. Call ye upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts and let him return unto the Lord and he will have mercy upon him and to our God for he will abundantly pardon. Amen. Next verse. For my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. And what ways and what thoughts are under consideration? The mercy and the forgiveness of sins and abundantly pardoning. Do you understand the connection there of those four verses? There are many that will quote Isaiah 55, 8 and 9, And they're talking about the intelligence of God. God's ways and God's thoughts are higher than ours. The intelligence of God is not in the context. It is the mercy of God and His forgiveness and His ability to abundantly pardon. Have you ever asked someone to forgive you? And they say, yeah, okay, I'll forgive you. I mean, you you really feel good, right? When you leave that little little, uh, meeting with someone, yeah, I'll forgive you. The Lord abundantly pardons because He says, My ways aren't like your ways. You're stingy with your forgiveness. You're a Scrooge with your forgiveness. You're a Scrooge with your mercy. But I am not. I abundantly pardon. If a man will turn from his wicked ways and pursue righteousness with me, I will forgive him and abundantly pardon. You will never be as kind as the Lord. So don't, in your thoughts, don't let the devil throw a fiery dart where you think, Well, the Lord can't forgive me. Oh, yes, He can. And He loves to forgive because that proves something over us. That He's full of compassion and pity and mercy and grace toward us. 
I want you to love these four verses and how they fit together so that you understand the full intent of them. The Lord is saying, don't measure me by your ways. Don't measure me by your thoughts. Trust me. If you will repent, I will abundantly pardon you. Don't you blame God and say He's not forgiven you yet. If you have confessed your sins and turned from them, He has forgiven you already. Get up from your knees and believe it and rejoice in it and celebrate it and go do what you ought to do instead of being defeated by the fact that you are believing your lying heart and the devil who's telling you that God hasn't forgiven you yet. Psalm 103. I'm still working on proving a point to you. The truth of the Bible, which is your shield of faith. Faith believes the promises in the Word of God and holds it up and quenches the fiery darts of the wicked. Do not confess your sins and then wonder if God has forgiven you or not. Where is that thought coming from? That is not coming from the Lord. Don't let the devil deceive you that that thought is coming from the Lord. That thought is coming from the devil. Because if he can leave you feeling that you have not been forgiven for your sins, you are a defeated Christian. You've been devoured. He forgives faster than anyone you will ever meet. Far faster than you are, even toward yourself. And you are deeply in love with yourself. God is full of mercy and kindness and compassion. This is my favorite passage on this subject. I know the other one sounded like a favorite. They're all favorites. It's a wonderful book. But listen to these words. I have prayed these words many, many, many times because there's great comfort in them. Psalm 103, verse 8. I'm asking you to think about the mercy of God. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and plenteous in mercy. He will not always chide, neither will He keep His anger forever. He hath not dealt with us after our sins, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. For as the heaven is high above the earth, so great is His mercy toward them that fear Him. As far as the east is from the west, so far hath He removed our transgressions from us. Like as a father pitieth his children, so the Lord pitieth them that fear Him. For he knoweth our frame, he remembereth that we are dust. God remembers how weak and pitiful and temporal we are, and he takes that into account when he deals with us, and he pities us like a good father pities his children. This is not any father. It is to be understood that this is a good and merciful father in the way he pities his children, so the Lord pities them that fear him. He does not hold His anger forever. He will not always chide or hold something against us. He is full of mercy. He is plenteous in mercy. He is kinder and more merciful than you will ever be. So when things happen to you or when you sin, do not blame God that He is short in forgiveness or that He takes a long time because He has never dealt with you as your sins rightly deserve. He is always merciful. Do every single one of us know that in this room? That He has not dealt with us according to our sins? 
you're hearing a living testimony. And you are a living testimony. He has not dealt with us according to our sins, but He is abundant in mercy. Do not blame the God of heaven. He is full of kindness and mercy. Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7. One more proof. The point is simple. God is kinder and more merciful than you will ever be. And there is abundant compassion and comfort and security in knowing that and believing it. I am giving you the Word of God. If you are attentive hearers, you are hearing these words, seeing them in print before you, and your faith is growing. Because faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. And your faith will increase if you will look at these and say to yourself, Self, that is the testimony of Scripture. That isn't, those are inspired words from heaven. This is the true God and eternal life. This is mercy. This is truth. Don't ever forget this, self. Self, trust the Lord that when you have sinned and you confess your sins, He's going to forgive you because He's kinder and more merciful than you will ever be, self. This is why we're here today. To have our faith increased by the Word of God. Matthew 7 and verse 9. What man is there of you? Whom if his son ask bread, will he give him a stone? Or if he ask a fish, will he give him a serpent? If ye then, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your Father which is in heaven give good things to them that ask Him? This is the God of the Bible. Yes, I preach the fact that God is terrible. He is the great and dreadful God of the Bible against sin and all workers of iniquity, but He is full of compassion and mercy toward His children. What a beautiful little comparison He makes here. Every one of us that are fathers know that if our children came to us and said, and I want to tell you children a secret, the reason you don't have more than you've got is because you haven't asked enough. You know, the Bible says you have not because you ask not. Because the Lord says we don't ask as much as we should. You know what I'm claiming? I've already claimed this in my own heart. And I'm not saying that like Benny Hinn. I'm talking to David Taylor right now and I'm talking about the appendix in his son Anthony. If anybody were to say to me, and I don't know if any thought came up in your mind, should he really be asking for God to save the appendix when the appendix is hardly ever saved in appendicitis? Well, the Bible says you have not because you ask not. Because He is such a benevolent Father, He wants us coming to ask for the big presence. He wants us to ask for a two-wheeler without training wheels instead of a little bike with training wheels. And I'm not Benny Hinn. You know, Benny Hinn's going to come to the conclusion of his service and he's going to ask you to send in your seed money i'm not going to ask you for your seed money and i'm not going to sell you some tax deductible holy oil either i'm telling you the truth of god's word you should claim the goodness of god when you go to him in prayer do not fault god that you do not have certain things in your life fault yourself Either your sins have separated between you and God and shortened His arm that it cannot save or stopped up His ears so that it cannot hear, but it's not God's fault. Or you have not asked for something that He is willing to give you. This is a wonderful passage. 
We know as fathers that if our children were to come to us in humility and respect and affection and ask, if they were to leave a note under our pillow, Dad, more than anything else, oh, all the children are listening to me for the first time today. (laughs) Esther, what are you looking at me like that for? You're just waiting for the secret to come out. We know what the secret is. We, we as fathers know that if we were asked humbly and respectfully and affectionately for something, what wouldn't we do to get that for them? So the Lord says, if a son were to ask bread of any of you fathers, would any of you fathers give him a stone? If any child was to ask his father for a fish, would the father give him a snake? Every father in there knew absolutely no, we would never do that. But I want to tell you something. You know why this passage is here? Because the fiery dart that the devil throws is that though you're asking for that, you're probably not going to get it because God's going to give you something less. I am so sick of hearing that and watching it in the lives of people without faith. Did you just hear me? You are accusing God of being a worse father, a worse father than any man on earth that's an ordinary father by by thinking to yourself that God is not going to give me the best. He's going to give me something less. You know what the Lord said about that? He said, you fathers know that you wouldn't do that to your children. And if you, being evil fathers, know how to give good gifts, how much more? If you want to underline words in your Bible, underline those words, how much more? God wants to give good gifts to those that ask Him. Don't ever go to the Lord. We're talking about our thoughts. This is a sermon about thoughts. But it's thoughts about God where you think He's short, that He's not going to really... He's stingy. He doesn't really want to bless you with the big blessings. That this prayer request is a little too tough for the God of heaven. It's asking a little too much. Well, thank the Lord that there's requests in the Bible like Joshua that said, Lord, I want to keep fighting your enemies. Would you stop the sun for a day? You know, I think that's a pretty big request. That's a little bit more than finding a job. Stopping the sun. And so our solar system came to a grinding halt and there wasn't any grinding. Because it was the Lord saying, stop for a while. I'll let you go in a minute. Well, it wasn't a minute. It was a whole day. How about Elisha saying to Elijah, you know, if you're going to leave me here without any more training, I want twice your spirit. And Elijah said, you've asked a hard thing. God gave it to him. Twice the spirit of Elijah. 2 Kings chapter 2. Wonderful story. That's a prayer request. That's the way we ought to pray. You have not because you ask not. And we ought to ask for the great things. Don't underestimate God or you're surmising about His character that He doesn't really want to do you any good. He wants you to settle for second best or third best. He really wants you to suffer through life. That's not what the Bible Look at that passage. Do you believe that passage? If your child came to you and asked for something, would you climb the highest mountain or cross the deepest sea to get that for them? If they came with the right attitude and spirit, the Lord will do better. This is the Word of the Lord, and I'm not preaching a social gospel. I'm not preaching a prosperity gospel. I'm preaching the truth of God's Word. Don't go to Him in prayer and think He can't do it. Don't go to Him in prayer and think He won't do it. Go to Him in prayer. He forgives and He gives. And He's glorious in both. And He's kinder and more merciful than you will ever be. 
And there is so much comfort and security in that. He is kinder than you will ever be. It amazes me that people want their eternal destiny in their own hands. It amazes me that they want eternal destiny in the hand of some evangelist or parent. I want my eternal destiny and every blessing that I have in the hands of God because no one cares for me like God cares for me. And I have two of the most loving parents on earth. And you all know that. But they can't touch my Lord. They can't think ahead five minutes for me. No disrespect in comparison to the Lord. He sees the end from the beginning. He knows what's going to be good for me way down the road and He's taking care of me right now. Don't ever blame God. Love the Lord. Trust the Lord. Let Him be the foundation, the anchor for your soul so that all of your thoughts are held up and kept up. Underneath are His everlasting arms and overshadowing you are His wings. He will take care of you forever. Don't let your thoughts run against the Most High God. If He's given you something and takes it away, blessed be the name of the Lord. Because He said, I am the Lord. And there is none else. Look at Hebrews chapter 13. Hebrews chapter 13. If you were to delight in the things that I'm saying right now, if you were to remember these things, you can be perpetually content and happy no matter what your circumstances are. No matter what your circumstances are. You can be perpetually happy. Hebrews 13.5 Let your conversation be without covetousness. Whenever you want something that you don't have, or you resent something that you do have, you are barking and fretting against God because He gave you the hand that you're playing. He gave it to you. If you are discontent and don't like it, if you wish it was different in a way that frustrates you and leaves you unhappy, then you are barking and fretting against God. Let your conversation be without covetousness. What does that mean? Live a lifestyle where you're happy with everything you've got. And be content with such things as ye have. For he hath said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. If God has said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee, that should be the foundation for your thoughts and your soul so that you can never go lower than that foundation. But how low is that foundation? The God of heaven will never leave you nor forsake you. Let a spouse forsake you. Let children forsake you. And I hate the thought of it. And I hate it when it happens to any of you. And I hate it, I hate it when things happen like that to me. However... The Lord of heaven will never forsake you. And with Him, we can be content and happy no matter what our circumstances. Verse 6, So that we may boldly say, The Lord is my helper, and I will not fear what man shall do unto me. I don't care if my spouse leaves me, all my children leave me, my brothers and sisters leave me, I get fired, the church throws me out, I don't care because the Lord's with me. And that is real faith. That is true faith, because it's our relationship with God that is the foundation, and we never fall farther than that. And what I'm trying to say to you is that that foundation is very high, because it's the God of heaven that is promising to be with us forever. The devil wants you to think that God is a monster. He won't forgive you. 
He's going to take his time. He probably didn't hear your prayer. He doesn't want to bless you. He doesn't want you really to be happy. He wants you to struggle through life. The Lord God is not like that for His children. You're being lied to, and the problem is you're believing it. You know, our hearts are going to lie to us, but we've got to call the liar and not believe it. These are blasphemous thoughts. They're lying suggestions of the devil to pervert God's reputation. You've got to resist the devil and quench those fiery darts and protect the reputation of God based on His Word. His reputation and character are right here. He will never forsake me. He will never leave me. He is wanting to bless me. He will forgive me if I will simply confess and admit that I am wrong before Him and repent of my foolishness. He'll forgive me right then and there, as quick as He did David. He will lift Peter up from having denied the Lord Jesus Christ three times and say, Peter, feed my sheep. Go ahead, Peter. I've put you in charge. Acts chapter 1. You get all those apostles together in one room and you tell them they need to make a replacement for Judas. You know how all of you would have walked into that room? What you'd have been thinking? I need to, I need to call for the replacement of two people. Judas and me. If you'd have been Peter, wouldn't you have been thinking some thoughts like that? How in the world can I call for the replacement of Judas while I'm the one that denied Jesus Christ three times? Are you following me? Those are foolish thoughts. Do you know why? Because God's ways and thoughts are higher than your ways and thoughts. And He had forgiven Peter and He had charged Peter, when thou art converted, strengthen thy brethren. Take charge and be a leader of the apostles. And did He do it? He went and did it. Did He unload in Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost? Did he look very fearful in Acts chapter 2 to you? He wasn't fearful. The Lord had strengthened him because the Lord is merciful. Now, for any of you that would be thinking, if Peter got up, and you people wouldn't, but if Peter got up and called for the exclusion of Judas and the replacement of Judas, how many of you would be able to easily forgive Peter and go forward with Peter like those other ten apostles did? Did they forgive Peter? Because the Holy Spirit of God had changed their hearts to think the same way. Would they have done that 40 days earlier? What were they doing 40 days earlier? They were arguing who was going to be most important in the kingdom of heaven. They were arguing who would have the highest office. They were arguing could James and John sit on both sides of Jesus Christ. The most important thing to them was who's going to be in power when the Lord's gone. But as soon as they were filled with the Holy Spirit of God, they were concerned about forgiving and moving forward. You know, we don't read a word in Acts chapter 1 about anyone calling Peter down, do we? Why don't we let John do that? Why don't you sit down? You couldn't control yourself 40 days ago. We think John would do a better job. Thank you, Lord for loving losers and saving sinners. Any thought that you ever have about God that does not measure up to what the Bible says, any thought that you have that does not vindicate God completely, any thought that is not 100% in agreement with the Gospel, it's from a lying heart or the devil. That is why we need to learn the Bible. That is why we read the Bible every day so that we will know how God treated David, 
how he treated Saul, how he treated Solomon. And that's why we read through the Bible so that we will know the testimony that God has given of himself and his son, Jesus Christ, and that we will never vary from that knowledge. And it is my job as a minister, according to Ephesians chapter 4, to teach you until you come to a perfect knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ so that you will never doubt him because it is thoughts contrary to what's revealed in the Bible that are the sinful, devilish thoughts of our deceitful hearts or from the devil himself. Every thought you have about God, if you ever say to yourself, I wonder what God thinks, you don't have to wonder. That's why we have the Bible. I wonder what God thinks. We know what God thinks. He's revealed it to us. Trust the Bible and any thought that differs with what the Bible says about God, damn that thought. That is a thought from hell. That is a that is a an accusation against the character of God. And we are not going to allow that. Don't allow that in your heart and mind. There is a brother in our assembly that has a relative who is accusing God of taking away a child. You prepare and set your hearts and minds right now. Mary Carlton... God could take away Jacob in Iraq. Red? Brandon may not be recovered. We're going to pray for both. And every one of us have similar situations. But we are going to bless the God of heaven. And we are not going to entertain a thought in our minds that would cast any doubt on the character of our God. He is most loving and faithful. And you know that about your brother. And we're learning that about our sister. But you know my brother. Every one of you that have children, you mothers that already have, you better have given them up. If you hold them onto them too tightly, the Lord is going to take them away to try you. And I've only mentioned a couple in here. I know most of you. Don't ever accuse my God. You will rue the day that you ever blame the God of heaven for being unfair. And He will tear you from the inside out. And those thoughts will leave you helpless and hopeless on the stormy seas of life. If you do not humble yourself before the God of heaven, who is able to give and to take away again. And you should bless the name of the Lord like Job did. These are our thoughts about God. We must guard them lest we ever think any foolish thoughts or wicked thoughts about Him. The the Lord is so merciful if we come to Him and love Him. Malachi chapter 3. I'm running out of time. Just let me summarize a few other points. The Bible tells us in Malachi chapter 3 that for those who think upon His name, who love the God of heaven, and who speak often one to another about Him, what does it say? He has a book. It's called the Book of Remembrance. And he writes the names of those that speak often to one another about Him in His Book of Remembrance. And when judgment comes, He says, they will see a difference between My precious jewels and those that I burn up. Malachi chapter 3, 16 through 18. But I can go to Ezekiel chapter 14. And if you ever approach the God of heaven and you hold on to some little idol in your heart, 
If you have something in your heart that you value and you're going to try to keep, and you're going to try to hold on because it's precious to you, Ezekiel 14, 6-9, through 9, the God of heaven says, I will deceive the prophet that you are going to, and I will cause that prophet to lie to you and for you to believe that lie so that I can ruin you and the man you've gone to because you have not humbled yourself before me and given up all your idols. So don't blame God. Don't blame God if you ever end up in an error. Blame yourself. He's not unfair. He's fair and merciful. Don't think it's strange when evil things happen to you. 1 Peter chapter 4, we had read to us last Lord's Day, verses 12 through 19. Don't think it's strange when, when bad things happen to Christians because there's good involved. Can you people help me remember, which I've preached to you before, the four reasons why bad things happen to Christians? Give me one. The chastening of sin. Bad things happen to Christians and they're in their lives sometimes because God is chastening us for sins, which makes it our fault. And the chastening is to get us over sinning and to perfect us. What's another reason? Natural consequences of sin. God, though He may forgive us, there's going to be natural consequences to sin so that our children and everyone can learn that there are consequences for choosing foolishness. God hasn't chosen to override all of them. Sometimes He will. What's another reason bad things happen to Christians? The glory of God. God does it for His own glory. In John chapter 9, when the disciples and Jesus were walking along and found a man blind from birth, the disciples said to Jesus, Is this man blind because of his sins or his parents' sins? Jesus said, He's not blind because of either sinning. He's blind for the glory of God so that I could have an occasion when he was 20 years of age to heal him from blindness. And if you, if you think to yourself for even one nanosecond that that isn't fair to leave a man blind for 20 years for the glory of God, then you haven't heard what I've said. You don't know the God of the Bible. And you better humble yourself before Him. If He wants to make a man blind and leave him blind for 20 years, do you know what the Bible says? Who art thou that saith unto his Maker and to, his, the, to the potter, what hast thou made? He could leave a man blind for his entire life. And that blind man could have a testimony like Fanny Crosby had that wrote some of the hymns in your hymn book and God gets the glory from that perpetual blindness. Amen. What's the fourth reason? To build our faith. The Lord sends evil events into our lives sometimes to drive us to our knees to trust the God of heaven when we feel like the rug has been pulled out from underneath us. So the Bible tells us, listen to what the Bible says that when bad things happen. My brethren, count it all joy when ye fall into divers temptations, knowing that the trying of your faith worketh patience. But let patience have her perfect work, that ye may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. God's goal in the things He allows in our lives are for His glory and our perfection. I call that win-win. That's a win-win situation, and it's from the Lord. Don't blame God for being unfair to a jewel like you. Thank God 
that He's never rewarded you according to what you deserve. Thank God that He lost some records and didn't pay you what you really earned. God is infinitely holy, just, and righteous in all His ways. Submit to Him. Mrs. Job didn't know how to think. Job knew how to think. He said, you're talking like one of the foolish women talk. Shall we receive good at the hand of the Lord? And wife, you've been living high in the hog for the last 60 years. We had, we had this monstrous family and all these blessings and all this riches. You drove the best cars and had the finest clothes for the last 60 years because of the goodness of God. And now you want me to curse God and die just because He took some of it back? Or all of it back? She was wrong. That was wrong thinking. And the whole point of this day has been right thinking. And the right thinking is not to curse God at all, but to realize that God can send good and evil and all of it's for our good. That is wonderful. And so Job did not charge God foolishly, nor did he sin with his lips. David prayed while there was hope. There's two sons that I just mentioned that are alive. Do you know what that means? There's hope. David prayed on his face for seven days and seven nights while fasting. Only when that son was taken away did he get up, did he wash himself, did he go into the house of the Lord and worship and then sit down and eat. His servants, who didn't really understand full faith, were wondering at his strange behavior. But he was behaving like a man who understood the God of heaven. Until he was dead, there was hope. And he prayed earnestly for seven days and seven nights. And only then did he realize God has shown his will in its finality. But he still went into the house of the Lord and worshipped. Even though he had lost his son. Hezekiah, as Anthony knows, Hezekiah prayed even though God was the one that had given him the death sentence. The Lord had said, Thou shalt die and not recover. Put your house in order. Get your will finished and signed. You shall not recover. But in while you're still alive, do you know what you can do? Even when God's the visiting physician that says you're not going to survive. He turned his face to the wall and wept and asked the Lord to have mercy upon him and remember the integrity of his life and save him. And he got 15 more years. And just in case he might be wondering about those 15 years, how secure he'd be while living them, the shadow in Ahaz's sundial went backward. That is the God I worship. That is the God I worship. You know, it would be one thing to have 15 years and wonder if they're really going to last all 15. But when the the shadow moves backward, you can count on all 15. You can enjoy all 15 and know that they're going to be there. This is what the Lord teaches us. No matter what circumstances come, they are immeasurably less than what you and I deserve. No matter what circumstances come, they all work together for our good by the God who elected us and chose us according to His purpose. And we love Him because of that purpose. And so we keep right on loving Him and trusting Him as a Heavenly Father who would never let us be hurt in any painful way. But it is all for His glory, our perfection. And so we never bark against Him. We don't complain against Him. We don't falsely accuse Him. 
We love Him. We trust Him. And we speak of Him to others. And we rejoice in the great God that has delivered us, doth deliver us, and will yet deliver us. Amen. Amen.